Good morning. Um, as Mike mentioned, my name is Sam uh, Garrison. It's nice to, nice to see you all this morning. Um, we'll say just as a side note, if you're ever asked to preach, it's always good to have guys from your men's group sitting in the front row that got your back. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you all. Where's Ross? He's here too. Um, We've been learning all summer, um, going through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And if you've been out of town or, or need a little summary, let me just sum up what we've learned thus far in a couple sentences. Number one, there is no gospel plus anything else. There's just the gospel through faith in Jesus. And if and when we ever get to the point to where we try to add something to the gospel, the gospel plus our work, so the gospel plus our best efforts, it's no longer the gospel. And Paul is very clear that there is no gospel plus, there's just the gospel. And then last week, Mike went through Paul's portion of Galatians where he tells the people in Galatia that while we're saved through faith, our natural tendency as human beings is once we've been saved and received that grace, to then fall back into our own habits of trying to earn our way to be sanctified or to be holy. In other words, God comes to us, he saves us, and then we start thinking we've got to do certain things, behave certain ways, act in a certain manner in order to fully come in to be the person that God intends for us to be. And Paul says, not the case. The way he saves us is the way he grows us, the way he matures us. But that's a pretty radical concept, and so it's important to Paul, so important enough to Paul that he spends today's verse, today's, um, uh, today's preaching text, expounding on it in greater depth. But let me tell you, before we get into the text, let me tell you a, a, a story. And like um, all the best stories, this one has the added benefit of actually being true. Um, I'm a lawyer, as Mike said, and so I, part of my job, I regularly have to go down to Green Cove and go in the courthouse to handle legal matters or to see judges on various things. And on this past Monday, after hearing the sermon about, um, uh, about Galatians and about how um, the way God saves us is also how he grows us and sanctifies us and that we don't get better, become a better Christian by following the law. I was walking through the security at the courthouse and I noticed for probably the first time ever, I don't know how many thousands of times I've walked through those doors to do my job, but I looked to the right and as I was waiting in line, I saw a little poster, it's no bigger than this big, and it's a, it's a poster listing the Ten Commandments. My first thought was, I didn't know we could do that anymore, but okay. Um, and, and, but, but then I still, instantly after that, I started thinking, well, okay, God brought to mind the sermons we've been preaching all summer, like, okay, as a Christian, who is saved by my faith in Jesus. What am I supposed to do with this? Seriously. What am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with God's law? How am I supposed to teach it to my kids? What's the relevance in light of what I know to be true that I have been saved not because I've followed God's law, but because God has saved me, because he died for me? What is the relevance. That's the same question that I was asking last Monday in Green Cove Springs that the folks in Galatia were asking 2,000 years ago. It's a question that Paul addresses in today's scripture. It's probably a question I hope 
that at some point in your life, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, that you're asking yourself, do I have to obey the law anymore? Why does it matter to me to strive to do what God's law says, in fact, in the light of the fact that I'm already saved? What's my relationship to law? Or to put it bluntly, what's my relationship to the Ten Commandments? You know, help me with this. And so Paul does just that. So, let's try to answer that question. So grab your Bibles if you have it in front of you. It's in your pew Bible. It's on page 973. I mentioned my guys from my Bible study. Um, last week we were sitting over at uh, we're Maple Street Biscuit. And I said, let's read this together to kind of get their insight before uh, I started to preach. And we read this passage, and it was like reading stereo instructions. And at the end of which, they're like, good luck with that. Go, go, go get them. <laughs> but like most good things, it's meaty and it's good. So let's get, there's a lot of awesome stuff in here. So let's get in it together. In verse 15, Paul says this. Now, he's just gone on and talked to the church in Galatia saying that, Tim, that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham has come to the Gentiles. We've received the promised spirit by faith. And that's intense. It's kind of a, a, a difficult thing to get your mind around. So he says, let me give you an example. Let me give you a practical example. And he goes on. Just to give you a human example, when he goes on, talks about the relationship between Abraham um, and the law from Moses. But I'm going to summarize it for you in, in, in this sentence. It says, the law does not supersede God's promise. God gives his promise 430 years before Moses, as, as the intercessor, delivers the law to his people. But for that 430-year period before the law comes, God is in a covenant relationship with Abraham, Abraham and his descendants. He made the promise to Abraham, and ultimately that promise to be, is to be fulfilled through the offspring, singular as it's described here, which Paul says is Jesus. The law given by Moses after the promise, almost 500 years after the promise, does not supersede the original promise of faith. So then Paul then asks that question, the same question that I had and maybe you have as well. Then why do we have the law? Why is it here? He gives the answer. It's a tough one. Verse 19. Why the law? Question mark. It, the law, was added because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. What does that mean? Great pastor Tim Keller in New York says the law's main purpose, these transgressions that are being described, is to show us our problem. God gave the law to show us our problem, that we are lawbreakers, and to prove to us that we cannot be the solution since we are unable to be the perfect law keepers. The law shows us that we do not just fall short of God's will, requiring some extra effort to do better, but that we are completely under sin's power, requiring a rescue. Eugene Peterson says, when the law is taken seriously and used according to its intent, it exposes us all, every one of us, mercilessly and relentlessly as failures. 
mercilessly and relentlessly as failures. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Paul goes on in verse 22 to say that the scripture, in this case he's talking about the law, the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, imprisoned everything under sin. That's a heavy word, imprisoned. He says we are imprisoned by the law, by our sin, what it reveals to us. Every single one of us. We are imprisoned. That is, until Christ came. Paul is telling us that faith, what he's been describing through us throughout the letter, the importance of faith, faith can only happen if we have that understanding of our state, of our existence, of who we really are without it. In order to have faith, we have to have first the understanding of our condition that we can't do enough in our own power to earn righteousness. We can't break the chains of that imprisonment ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. And Jesus cannot do that until we understand in our innermost essence who we really are. John Stott says, not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us. Again, there's this term, arrested us. We are arrested by the law. We are imprisoned by the law. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we pine for Christ, will we long for Jesus to set us free. If we don't understand that we're enslaved, how can we possibly know what it's like to be free? How can our hearts long for something that we don't know that we desire? Not until the law has condemned and killed us will we call upon Christ for justification and life. Not until the law delivers us, despite our despair, will we ever believe in Jesus. And not until the law has humbled us, even to hell, will we turn to the gospel to raise us to heaven. That sounds pretty intense, doesn't it? Yeah, I hope it does. <laughs> scares me. Um, but it's by design. It's not a scare tactic. What, what, he's, what Paul is doing here is he's saying, you know, you, you, you come up with all these, these lies. You tell yourself about how great you are and how hard you work. And if you work really hard and do, you know, ch check the box, somehow that makes you better than everybody else. Paul is saying baloney. You are a slave to sin. You are imprisoned. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. And guess what? No matter how quote-unquote good you think you are, the person sitting right next to you is in the exact same boat as you are. Sin is the great equalizer and the great leveler. We are all broken and broken beyond our ability to repair. But when we recognize that, and we can only recognize that through the law, then we can appreciate and then we can receive the freedom and the grace that God gives us through his son, Jesus. 
So let's look at that for a second. Verse 25 in the text, Paul says, but now that faith has come, you've been imprisoned, you've been enslaved, because you can't break, you cannot, you can't do what the law says you have to do. You can't do it. But now that faith has come, you are no longer under that guardian. You're no longer under that guard. For in Christ Jesus, you are all, every one of you, sons of God, through faith. It doesn't just say you're okay. It says you are an adopted son or daughter of God. Through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What does that mean? For those who have professed Jesus, who have, who have reached up and grabbed the outstretched hand he's given us to pull us out of that prison of sin, we have put on Christ. Put on in this context means literally like putting on clothes. Like I put on my jacket this morning, okay? I've put on Christ. And when you do that, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. No male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Read that again. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The old divisions, the old attitudes of either superiority or inferiority, depending on how we're wired, they're gone. You are all one. Think about for a second how radical that is. We take it for granted, but think about what he's saying. Everything that society has taught you about how it works, everything about power, everything about influence, everything you think you know is gone. You are a new creation. You are one in Jesus. And that message is just as relevant to us at 2018 sitting here in Fleming Island as it was to the church in Galatia 2,000 years ago. We are still tempted because our culture tempts us with it and our brokenness tempts us with it. We are still tempted to think that because we either have a good job, because we've got a good marriage, because we have great kids, we have a lot of money, we have whatever, that somehow that puts us in a better position than the guy sitting next to us. And Paul says, you got it wrong, man. You got it wrong. We are all one. So what does this mean for us today? What does it mean, what's the application for you today? Well, let me ask you a question. There's two questions. The first is, have you thrown off the law in your life? Have you stopped getting to a point to where you think even subconsciously that if I do right, then I will earn favor with the Lord? You might say that. Do your actions reflect that truth? Or are you somehow thinking, if I only work hard enough, I can get rid of that pornography addiction? If I only work hard enough, I can save this marriage? If I only go to church every Sunday, God will bless me in my business. Do we do that sometimes, even without thinking about it? 
know I do. My guess is you probably do too. My challenge today is to get rid of that thinking. That's the law. Throw it off. You can't do it. If you're thinking to yourself, well, Sam, does that mean that we don't have to obey God's law? Do whatever we want to do? That's the wrong question. Man, you couldn't obey the law in the first place. (laughs) How's that working out for you? (laughs) If minute we start thinking, if I try hard, I can obey the law, what we're doing in that situation is we're exposing our inability to admit to ourselves the truth, which is just how incredibly searching and demanding God's law is. We're dumbing it down so we can try to achieve a goal. We're moving the goalpost forward. We're fooling ourselves. You want to know how searching and demanding God's law is? Go to Matthew 5, where Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he goes on to tell them, you've heard that, you know, the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. You haven't killed anyone? Good for you. Well done. But I'm here, let me tell you what this really means. I'm here to tell you that if you were even angry with someone, you murdered them. You have not met my standard. Haven't cheated on your wife? Great. Good for you. I'm here to tell you that if you even looked at someone with lust in your heart, in a way it debases them, treats them like an object, and defiles who you are, I'm telling you, you violate, you've broken that law. How you feeling now? I'm to, you know, you've heard it said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm telling you something much different. If someone does you wrong, they slap you on the right cheek, give them the left. And not only that, give them your coat while you're at it. And then when they have to walk a mile with them, walk both, walk double. You think you've got the law down? No way. You can't do it. And when we try to obey key word there, obey, we inevitably will limit its scope in order to try to accomplish our goal. And we cheapen. We cheapen what's to come on the other side. So, have you thrown off the law? Second question is, have you put on Christ? Have you really put it on? Not just said, yeah, I'm going to come to church and hedge my bets and do whatever, or yeah, I think this is, you know, Going to church is good. I want to raise my kids in a Christian home. Yeah, I think I like the morals, like the values. That's not what we're talking about. Have you put on Christ? Like you put on your shirt this morning and wear it. When we put on Christ, we get a whole new life, Paul tells us. What does that mean practically? Number one, it means when we put on Christ, it become, Christ becomes our primary identity. Jesus, for those of us who have put on Christ, is our primary identity. I love the 4th of July. I love patriotic music. I'm the guy who last year made my kids sit down and recite the Declaration of Independence um, to make sure they really got what it means to be an American. They didn't enjoy that too much. But like, I, 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 love, I love our history and our culture and our heritage. I love the fact that we are so blessed to live in America. But let me tell you for what right now. My primary identity is as a Christian, not as an American. As much as I love my country, my primary identity is in Jesus. And if yours is not in Jesus, you have not put on Christ. If you identify more with where you're from, what your last name is, 
and not with Jesus, you haven't put on Christ. He's our primary identity. When we put on Christ, it's also our closest relationship. I love my wife. I love my kids. But if ever there comes a point when those relationships are more important to me than my relationship and my identity as a follower of Jesus, then I've lost my way. And I can't love them the way that I could otherwise. I'm doing them a disservice. So it's our primary identity. It's our closest relationship. When we put on Christ, we also try to imitate him. It's the difference between imitating Christ and trying to obey him. When we're imitating, it's aspirational. We're not trying to cut corners. We're looking at Jesus and saying, this is what it means to be fully human, fully alive. I want to imitate Jesus. And when we put on Christ, he's our primary identity, our closest relationship, the source of our imitation, and he also makes us acceptable. We are accepted. We don't have to try anymore. We can relax. We can be free. Because Jesus accepts me. And if you don't, that's too bad. Sorry. I'm loved. I'm accepted by Jesus. So those are the two questions today as you sit here. Have you thrown off the law? And have you put on Christ? Both of those are key. Both of those things together are the gospel of Jesus. Now, if you haven't done those things, it's not rocket science, man. Jesus makes it incredibly easy. It's incredibly hard. It's gutsy, but it's super easy. Do it right now. We have prayer ministers over there at the end, during communion every, every week, and we have a team of folks who make it their mission, their way they serve the kingdom of God to help folks who don't even know what to pray for. They just need help. They want prayer. If you're sitting here today and what I'm saying is resonating with you and you haven't thrown off the law and you haven't put on Christ in its stead, just walk over to the prayer ministers. So will you pray for me? That's all you gotta do. Will you pray for me? We'll do it. And let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Do it now. The thing that happens when we take off the weight of the law and we put on Christ is that earlier question I asked you about do we even have to obey? It gets totally turned on its head. See, when we feel we have to obey something, even if it's the most noble and good force thing in the world, we can't help but resent it. There's a part of us, the live free or die part of us just says, I don't want to obey. I'm like that. I don't want to obey. I always begrudge it somehow because someone's telling me to do something I don't want to do. And that's part of that life of slavery. It's part of that imprisonment that we suffer. The awesome thing is when we throw off the law and we put on Christ, we don't think in terms of obey anymore. We think in terms of honoring. Let me explain this. Think about this for a second. Paul uses that description of being imprisoned for a reason. Think about if you were imprisoned your entire life all you knew was a four by eight cell. Never saw the sun, never had the joy of seeing someone you love. You're imprisoned and you can't get out. 
Try as hard as you want. You can never get out. But someday, at some way, in an unexpected manner, not because you've done anything at all, but because someone loves you and cares about you, they come in and they rip the door down. And they give you their hand and say, follow me. And you follow them. And you walk out of that prison and you're in a beautiful country. You like walk outside of here. You feel the sun on your face. You can go and do where you want to go and do. You can hug the people you love. You're free. How are you going to feel about the person who came and freed you? How are you going to feel about that person? My guess is, if you're like me, you will spend the rest of your life trying to honor what they have done to free you from captivity. You don't care about what the rules are anymore. You know this person has saved me. I want to honor them in my life and do everything I can to bring honor to this person because I once was blind, but now I can see. And the way we honor Jesus is by giving our lives to him. We look at the law and we don't say anymore, I want to do that. If I work really hard, I can do it. We look at the law and say, there is no way I can do that. Thank you, God, for loving me regardless. Give me the power to try to live the way you want me to live. I love you. And when you have that freedom, man, that's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. When you have that freedom, we can live out the truth of this scripture. There truly is for those people who have been liberated by Jesus, who have been freed from the slavery of sin, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no male, there is no female, for we are all one in Jesus Christ who loves us and has rescued us. Amen. Amen.